Welcome to the Chapman CG podcast series, inspiring and informative conversations with top HR leaders from around the world. So hi, everyone. I am here with Anusha Reddy, Head of Talent Strategy and Executive Individual Development Planning. Hi, Anusha. How are you doing? Hi, Tim. Really good. What about you? Yeah, not too bad, all things considered. So today we're going to be talking about the importance of building a holistic well-being strategy. And this is something I know you're very passionate about, Anusha. So to start with, just tell me a bit more about your current role and the work that you're doing around well-being. Thanks, Tim. I'm really delighted to be um, talking about this topic. And um, I work as an independent consultant and currently in an organization that's undergoing quite a significant transformation. And um, I'm a psychologist and executive coach with training in neuroscience. And the organization has been positively intentional in leveraging those skills um, for the work that I've been engaged to do. So there are really two parts to the role. The first is a head of talent strategy where the business transformation has outpaced talent management. So I'm really pleased that an integrated, reimagined talent strategy has been created of which well-being is a key priority. The second part of the role involves partnering with the top 200 leaders globally um, who are the drivers of the change. Um, and I work with them to help them reflect holistically on work and life and to support them in creating actionable goals um, that enhance their performance and also their well-being. And how is the, in your opinion, how is the current situation amplifying the need for a greater focus on well-being? So we spend such a lot of time at work, which influences our well-being. And when it's positive, it translates to people being connected to the organization through engagement in their work, relationships with others, and performance. And we see really good outcomes for individuals, organizations, and society. And the welding industry has been growing um, at a healthy rate. So I think it's plus 6% and is about a $4.7 trillion market. Yet we're seeing stress at work increasing year on year with sustained long working hours becoming the norm and a decline in well-being and happiness of people globally, which comes at such a tremendous cost to the individual organization, society, and the economy worldwide. So I think the pandemic has amplified and made explicit just how vulnerable economies are when people are vulnerable. So as we emerge from this, organizations are acknowledging that fostering well-being is not only the right thing to do or a nice to have, but it affects how engaged people are. It affects the reputation of organizations and the ability to attract and also retain talent so I'm optimistic that the pandemic will accelerate well-being to be seen as more than a few one-off programs, having an apple a day, or mindfulness class at lunchtime or discounted gym membership. I think we'll see well-being taken much more seriously and become an organizational priority with greater proactivity and a more strategic and integrated approach that we've seen over the last 10 years. And what are some of the multi-dimensional areas included in, in this broad well-being umbrella? So, the, I mean, the work of work, uh, of work, as you know, is changing so fast. And even though the evidence suggests 
that the leading cause of ill health in the global workforce is the mental dimensions of stress, anxiety, depression, and the culture of organizations playing a big part. We continue to see the focus on the physical dimension of well-being, and also there seems to be continued discomfort to talk about mental health. So overall, there's still a gap on what an effective well-being strategy is. And whilst I see well-being as holistic and multidimensional, so mental, physical, financial, social, career, environmental, and even spiritual dimensions, um, it really is about the environment and the culture that people work in and whether people feel valued, trusted, have positive relationships, get the right support that they need, opportunities to develop, have autonomy and some control over their work and a sense of purpose. So you can see how fundamental the role of the manager is to well-being and to creating the environment within which people thrive or deteriorate. In a way, it's as if we've culturally grown into doing things we're not biologically designed to do. So, you know, the sedentary lifestyles we lead, eating processed foods rather than whole foods, always on the go, people not getting enough good quality sleep. There isn't enough alternating between stress and relaxation, which affects performance and well-being. So all of this means that the different dimensions of well-being need to work together and that well-being is not static, but rather an active pursuit where each of us has responsibility for our own choices, actions, and lifestyle, which is influenced by the cultural environment we work in. Really interesting to see how the, the, the pandemic has shone a light on this, and, and it's starting to accelerate a lot of thinking on this in, in organisations um, across all of the you know the areas, which is um, fascinating. And how do you see the role of HR in driving? This, this, this new well-being agenda? It's a really good question, and I think the balance of responsibility for well-being between the individual governments and the organization is shifting. And, um, and I think HR has such a fantastic opportunity to prioritize enhancing well-being and positive employment relationships as a route to performance. There also needs to be more of a shift between, let's call it the science around well-being and what we see in practice in many organizations. So again, HR functions um, are pivotal in closing that gap and in shifting the conversation on well-being to beyond issues of physical health to a more holistic focus, so infused in performance discussions, career planning, goal setting, and so on. Um, and organizations themselves are in, in a unique position to be a good influence on well-being. And I think HR has a critical part to play in getting workplace well-being right, which can offset the demanding environment that we work in. Um, and if it's done poorly, it will be experienced like yet another top-down compliance initiative um, and a tick box exercise without achieving the outcome of well-being. And I think what we're seeing as well is that, you know, it's interesting to see where it sits in terms of the, the HR structure, if it's, if it's, you know, just a, a separate piece. Um, a bit like sort of, you know, in some organizations, diversity inclusion is just a bit of a bolt-on, or whether it's actually threaded and permeates through all of the HR function and all of the, you know, the holistic strategy. Um, so I think different organizations are sort of getting to grips with where they put it, <laughs> which is interesting. Yeah. 
So look, we, we, I think you touched on you touched on the thrive or deteriorate scenario. How how important is this the, the role of the actual managers? We've talked about the role of HR, but the actual managers in effectively embedding this well-being strategy. So the, the impact that managers have on well-being is not new, and um, they are fundamental to it. Um, there's a plethora of research which shows that positive leadership behaviors like setting clear direction, providing a sense of purpose, enabling good communication that invites input from people, recognizing and rewarding people for their ideas, giving regular feedback, autonomy and flexibility, all have a positive impact on well-being and job satisfaction. And in turn, people then go above and beyond expectations and productivity increases. But the other side is that negative leadership behaviors where managers avoid the decision-making, micromanage people and don't give them the necessary flexibility and autonomy, expect long working hours, the email kind of culture we see um, when it's not critical, um, don't intervene until problems become quite serious, have adverse consequences um, for individual well-being, stress, anxiety, burnout um, and depression. So there's no doubt that the relationship people have with their manager, the organization, the design of their work, their choices, flexibility about what to do, how to do it, and where they do it, impacts on well-being and can leave people more stressed, anxious, and bound. So I think investing in managers at all levels, not just the most senior levels in organizations, it's worthwhile to see improvements in well-being, productivity, and performance. But the starting point, I think, is to make sure that the right people are selected into management roles in the first place and that they have the right capabilities because of the disproportionate impact that they have on the people that they lead and manage. It's, important, it's such an important role where managers need to be able to create an environment where people feel trusted, are motivated about the work, have flexibility in where and how they do their work, clear expectations with what are realistic workloads. And managers also need to be visible and accessible. They need to be able to notice when people are not coping, um, be able to listen, be open, show empathy, um, and offer the support that's needed. So to see the benefits of the multidimensional approach we talked about um, to well-being, I think it's important to focus first on the culture and environment and specifically on equipping managers. Otherwise, it's a bit like the clean fish, dirty pond story where individuals can put a lot of energy and focus on the different aspects of their well-being and then find themselves in relationship with their environment where the quality of well-being is not improved. Fascinating. And that you, you touched on the you know, particular in this environment, that that empathy and um, you know, I think vulnerability as well. Um, you know, sort of I think those are some of the traits that we'll see more sought after in, in the leadership. Um, and management going forward in, in certain organizations that do this well. So I was just going to ask, I know it's, it's hard to generalize because you know, it does sometimes come down to the, the, the individual, the manager, the, the leader, um, and organizations will have sort of pockets of, of cultures. But what do you think we can learn from certain industries? What, what, are, what, which companies, in your view, are sort of doing this well? I think because well-being is such a broad-ranging topic um, with so many factors influencing it, the organizations that 
seem to be doing it well, um, tend to clearly articulate their approach, um, which typically is multidimensional, and where the different dimensions are interconnected with an appreciation that well-being is dynamic. Um, and there's so many benefits, um, you know, to getting well-being right, like reduced stress, absenteeism, better engagement, resilience. Um, commitment to the organization and productivity. And so the organizations doing it well tend to focus on those components that will be most effective to their particular context. They tend not to use a one-size-fits-all approach, um, but rather one that's aligned in the, work, um, in the workforce profile um, or to their workforce profile across different geographies. So for example, the offering in the UK um, would be very different to say what you would do in an Indonesia or a Japan, which is on the extreme of role modeling um, good well-being as a country. Um, they also seem to focus beyond preventing ill health to enabling employees to maintain their well-being. And managers and employees know what's available to them, how they can access the services they need, um, and managers are well equipped. Um, in terms of supporting the well-being of their team. And, you know, in terms of companies, there's a range, I guess, um, you know, that are making really good progress. And the two that I would sort of call out, um, and they're both in the pharma industry, and the one would be GSK and the other would be Johnson & Johnson. And even though Johnson & Johnson's approach is viewed as traditional, um, they do tend to be quite holistic in their approach and um, seem to be making good progress. Yeah, I think the, some of the, the healthcare companies are a little bit ahead of the, the game, um, particularly when it comes to that sort of nurturing and caring because it's part of their sort of purpose, isn't it? And let's say I'm a, I'm a skeptical CEO and I'm you know, looking at the numbers here. How, how can we measure well-being? How can we measure the ROI, the impact? So again, a really good, um, a good question that many are, are grappling with. And well-being is hard to measure, yet having and interpreting data beyond participation rates is crucial to measure the effectiveness of well-being to keep evolving the approach to meet the needs of the workforce and also to gain um, that future investment. So I think the starting point is, um, is to be really clear about how well-being is defined in your particular organization. Um, and then to ground it in data and facts to build insights into the well-being of your workforce. And that could mean meeting the organization where it is um, by drawing on existing data, such as employee engagement, sickness absence, even looking at consumer data um, and performance, and to build on this to then start to, looking, to look at surveys for benchmarking purposes employee satisfaction and commitment, as well as measures on supportive culture and management. So ultimately, I think good decisions about well-being will need to be grounded not just in what's happening around the mega trends, but in terms of, um, of good data around your particular business context. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think, you know, the, the role of the HR analytics, people data function will be, you know, critical to align with some of these, um, these areas and, and sort of being able to predict predict the future. Um, so look, at, and, and on that, crystal ball time, final question. I mean, how do you see the future in wellbeing? What are some of the things we can expect in the next 12 months and, and indeed over the next sort of five years? Well, I think sort of looking back over the last 10 years, it's brought 
so much of awareness um, of the effects of mental and physical well-being in particular, and consumer behaviors have also been changing towards improving well-being. So there are no signs of a slowing down of a growth trend in the well-being industry, and if anything, the pandemic will accelerate this, which means leaders will be rethinking their priorities on well-being. Um, and I think we'll see a shift towards that multidimensional approach with much greater recognition of that link between culture and well-being. And what the CEO of Johnson & Johnson recently said reinforces this and really resonated with me, which is every business leader in some way is going to be a healthcare leader going forward. And I think over the next five years, um, my sense is that well-being will be further disrupted by technology, not inherently good or bad. Um, and, and it will be much more data-driven, which will change the way we think and experience ourselves, which in turn will lead to very different lifestyles, changes in our habits, needs, and desires. And with that, quite personalized menus that speak directly to improved well-being for the individual. I also think that all of our understanding of well-being will continue to evolve, and the boundaries between well-being, healthcare, and medicine will continue to blur. So a crossing of disciplines is likely, um, which means a more regulated market. We already know that people who are lonely are are more likely to suffer from anxiety, depression, and dementia. So well-being will continue to be social. And again, technology and algorithms will make it easier to match people with shared interests, professions, and so on. Um, so I think we'll see many organizations um, looking at the implication of these and other trends to inform a more integrated approach to well-being that positively affects not only individual team and organizational performance, but ultimately benefits society. Wow, that's a that's a strong a strong message and a strong way to end, isn't it? And um, really going to be fascinating to see how the well-being journey continues to unfold. And it's a fascinating time, um, for, you know, for the HR function in general, given uh, potential in this in this space as well. So uh, fascinating. Well, it, that was Anusha Reddy talking about the importance of building a holistic well-being strategy. Thanks very much, Nisha. Thanks, Tim. It was great to have this conversation. For more excellent conversations from Chapman CG, subscribe to our podcast series or check us out at chapmancg.com.